Well, good morning. Come on in and grab a seat. We are going to go ahead and get started. It's been a good morning already. Got to see the MTT graduates. Got, that was a great praise and worship time, and, and it is Father's Day, so that's happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Hopefully, hopefully you get to do what you want to do today. I'm not going to promise that, that happens, but hopefully that works out. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're almost done with our study of this book, and a study that started nearly a year and a half ago. In fact, Jeff will be back with us next Sunday to close out the book. Uh, we have two more uh, uh, sermons, including today. And then we're going to start a new series for the summer on the love of God. And, and so hopefully you'll make plans to be back with us this summer. It should be fun. Uh, but before we get there, we do still have a little bit of work left to do here in 1 Corinthians. We kicked off chapter 16 last week, and we saw the transition from the deeply doctrinal teaching regarding the resurrection in chapter 15 to the very practical teaching of this concluding chapter of the book. And the transition started with the last verse of chapter 15. We looked at it last week, but I want to look at it again because it sets the foundation for everything you see in chapter 16. It is a great verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Paul is saying, because of everything we just came through, everything we saw regarding the resurrection and everything that is to come, be about the work of the Lord now. And that transitions us to chapter 16, where we get the very practical teaching of how to do it. How to be about the work of the Lord. And we saw last week that it starts with giving and our attitude towards charity and generosity as we got the answers to the five key questions regarding giving. So last week was the key to giving. Today is going to be the key to living. We're going to see the keys to living your life in the work of the Lord. There will be three very simple, very practical steps to keep you on track, to keep you always abounding in the work of the Lord, like 1 Corinthians 15.58 tells us. And these keys come directly from the life of Paul. They're how Paul went about living his life in the work of the Lord. So if you pay attention this morning, I think you'll learn something that you can apply to your life and your own ministry. Because while this cert certainly isn't a very deep passage of Scripture, it is quite instructive and quite interesting. And I think it's interesting because it's somewhat autobiographical. And, and who doesn't love a good autobiography, especially if someone as interesting as the Apostle Paul? And there are a few places in Scripture where we learn some personal things about Paul. He talks specifically about himself in Philippians chapter 3, where he lays out his pedigree. He provides for us some details about his own sufferings and, and things he had to go through for the sake of the ministry in, in, in various places. But here in 1 Corinthians 16, it's like Paul is just kind of thinking out loud. I mean, here we, we get casual Paul, a very transparent Paul. And that gives us great insight into how he thought and therefore how we should think as well. Because here is the thing. 
When it comes to the work of the Lord, Paul is our model. Paul is our model. I know the catchphrase was, what would Jesus do? But when it comes to the practical aspects of how to live my life in the work of the Lord, I want to know what Paul did. See, Jesus was sent to the Jews. Jesus came in preaching the kingdom. When it comes to ministry that we've been given and the life we've been given to live, really, Paul is our model. And I know what you're thinking. Don't just slow down. Don't get mad at me. Of course Jesus is our model too. If you're wearing a WWJD bracelet, you don't have to take it off. I mean, maybe you should take it off, but not because of what I just said. (laughs) Obviously, Jesus' discipleship model with his disciples is what we follow. Obviously, we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We know that Jesus was sinless, so the more we're like him, the more holy he is. I get it. So don't go out of here thinking or saying that I said something that I didn't, you know. Troy said we don't need to be like Jesus. No, be like Jesus. It's a good thing. But what I am saying is that the mission God gave Paul was different than the mission God gave Jesus. Paul talked about that in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, when he said, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Okay, that was Paul's mission. It was given to him by the Lord Jesus. He also talks about it in Ephesians 3, 2, where he says, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. You see, Paul's mission was grace through faith in Jesus. That was the mission he was given to take to the world. And the mission God gave Paul is the exact same mission he has given to you and me. So that makes Paul our model. And in our text this morning, we get to see him in a little bit different light than other places. Because as our model, he's modeling for us some key attributes that we need to learn and apply to our life. So let's look at it together, see what the Lord shows us. We will start in verse 5. Of 1 Corinthians 16, we'll read down through verse 12. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, the Bible says, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, in winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me. For I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Now, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to direct our time uh, together this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we do love you. We're so thankful uh, for, for the, the models that you give us in our life and, 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 and the ability to look at someone like Paul through his writings and glean exactly what we need to put in place in our life, Lord, to, to, to live a life that is glorifying to you, that is about the work that you've given us to do. So, Lord, I pray that you teach us this morning. 
I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it is glorifying and honoring to you. And I pray that you use it in our lives uh, to be better ministers uh, in, the, in the mission you've given us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I've already stated, I believe these verses we just read give us some of the keys we need to understand in our life if we want to live it in the work of the Lord. We're going to see how to live your life so that the work God has given you to do actually gets done. Now listen, that statement that I said right there is a big problem for many folks today. Because if truth be told, not everyone really cares if the work that God has given them to do gets done or not. Or maybe they do care, but they think somebody else will do it. And let me just tell you, that is dangerous thinking. That wasn't at all how Paul thought. We already saw Acts 20:24, where Paul said his goal was to finish his course with joy. And we won't take the time to go there, but when Paul gets to the end of his life and he writes the book of 2 Timothy, the last book he wrote, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said he did that. He said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. And when Paul says, I have finished my course, he doesn't only mean that his life was about to end. He also means that he accomplished what God gave him to do. He ran the whole race, man. He crossed the finish line. He didn't stop short. He didn't let someone else do it for him. And we shouldn't either. Let's do what God has given us to do. I don't want someone else to have to do my job. I want to do it. And I want to do it the way Paul did it. The first way Paul did it, the first key to living your life in the work of the Lord is be active in planning. Be active in planning. The transparent model we see from Paul here in these verses is a man with a plan. Now, the encouraging thing, at least for me, is that it is a somewhat unsettled and unsure plan. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But he has a plan nonetheless. Look again at verse 5. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. You see, in the work of the Lord, Paul wanted to get back to Corinth and minister to those in that church. So he was making plans to do just that. He was actively planning a trip to Corinth. And I chose that word active on purpose. Because what many Christians do is passively let the work of the Lord come to them. And it might go something a little bit like this. You might hear them say, you know, I don't, I don't want to come on too strong. I want people to see Jesus in me. And I don't, I don't want to have to tell them. I want to be a living testimony. And if I start talking about Jesus, they're just going to think I'm a Bible thumper and they're going to shut down anyway. And listen, that sounds good until you think about it. Because of course people should see Jesus in you. But you need to tell them too. And let's just be honest. In many cases, the person that takes this I only want to be a living testimony approach does so because for one reason or another, they don't really want to do the work of the Lord. 
So they have to justify their passive Christianity in their own minds. They're not actively planning how to be used by the Lord, how to fit in to the Lord's work. Now, if it comes to them by some miracle of God, sure, they they might do something then. But otherwise, their plan is passivity. And I'm sorry, but nowhere in the Bible do you see a servant who is pleasing to the Lord be passive in the work of the Lord. There's a story in Genesis 47. This was a time when Joseph was Pharaoh's right-hand man, and, and when Joseph's brothers unknowingly come to him for help because, because they're starving. And so Joseph goes to Pharaoh. He's trying to set something up for his father and his brothers, and Pharaoh's willing to help. But look at what he says in Genesis chapter 47, verse 6. Pharaoh speaking, he says, The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And I love the phrasing in that verse because it tells us how to be in the work of the Lord. Pharaoh was looking for men of activity to lead. He didn't ask for the smartest or the most knowledgeable about cattle. No, he wanted someone active. Someone who would put some plans in place and then get to work. So let me ask you, does that phrase describe you? When it comes to the work of the Lord, would you consider yourself a man or a woman of activity? Are you actively trying to plan out your ministry, your work for the Lord? I hope so, because that is what the Bible demands. And that is what Paul modeled. Now, I do have to caution you. You do have to be careful with this point. There there is a balance. Because in the midst of your planning and actively putting that plan in motion, which we are called to do, you can't do it in a way where you are so structured that you plan God right out of your plan. That's why you have to pay close attention to Paul's model. Paul actively planned, but he was also flexible. And flexibility can be difficult for some people. Because when it comes to planning, you usually see two extremes. You have the group of people that don't plan a thing. And and they live life God knows how. I have no clue. (laughs) And that is one extreme. But then you have those that plan everything and are completely thrown off guard by the slightest change. Listen, both are wrong. Be active in planning. Don't be passive and and never plan how you're going to accomplish the work of the Lord. But also be flexible to follow the providence of God and move where, when, and how He tells you to move. So being active in planning does not mean that you have to be sure of everything. And listen, I know that hurts some of you. But if so, you're just going to have to hurt a little bit. Because if you go back to our text, you can see that Paul is certain about some things in verse 5, but he's uncertain about other things in verse 6. He was definitely going through Macedonia. Along that journey, planned to stop at Corinth. And while at Corinth, he might stay a while, maybe even the entire winter, but that was somewhat open. And if he did winter there, he he was expecting them to pay for the next leg of his trip. He didn't didn't know where that was going to be. 
That, that is what verse 6 means, by the way, that when he says that you bring me on my journey, whithersoever I go, goest, that he was expecting them to pay. That's a tie back to the first four, four verses regarding the role of giving. Part of that was paying for what Paul needed, and he wasn't even sure what he needed and where he was going to go, but he expected them to take care of it. And so this all leads us to balancing point number one, and that is make a plan, but don't look too far ahead. And what I mean by that is when it comes to the work of the Lord, you should absolutely plan and dream and head towards where you think God is taking you. But don't allow the planning and the dreaming to take your focus off what you need to do next. The only thing Paul is certain of are his next couple of moves. He knows the work of the Lord has him in Ephesus now, and he's going through Macedonia next. Part of that trip, he's planning to go to Corinth, but he's not exactly sure when. He's not exactly sure for how long. After that, all bets are off. He had plans, but he was focused short term. James teaches this same principle as well. James 14, verses 13 uh, through 15 says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You see, you... You can't and you shouldn't commit yourself too far ahead. There's too many unknowns. What you need to do is know what's next and commit to that and do that. That's the problem. So sometimes we have people that are looking too far ahead. They won't commit to what's right in front of them. So let me make this real practical for you. I may not know where God will take you five years from now, but if you've been through personal discipleship, I know you should sign up for MTT today. I know that. What is it that is in front of you? Be certain about that and move. Be active in that direction. Still plan, still dream about the future, but as much as you can, be sure where God is leading you in the short term. And then plan on doing what the Lord tells you step by step until he comes back. Don't leap over certain steps. Take them one step at a time, moving forward one step at a time. That was Paul's model. He made plans, but he kept them flexible. So his goals, his real solid goals were short-term. So again, this is all about being prepared, but also being okay with divine surprises. That involves flexibility. And that's balancing point number two which is make a plan, but leave room in your plan for the interference of God. Make room in your plan for the interference of God. You see, when it came to the active plan that Paul made for his trip to Corinth, it included a lengthy stay. He said, I, I want to stay with you for a while, but he couldn't be sure that that would actually happen. Look again at verse 7. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. You see, Paul recognized that while he was in charge of actively planning for the work of the Lord, he was also under authority. And if God moved, then he had to move. His plan was always subject to the permission of God. If the Lord permit, or as James said it, if the Lord will. 
We have to have the Lord's permission for what we're doing if we want to remain in His will. And the Lord's permission works through the regular channels that we talk about all the time. It works through His Word, His church, and the providence of circumstances. So that means if you're moving in opposite direction of His Word, if you're moving in opposite direction of this church, or what God is trying to throw you, show you through, through circumstance, then you need to check yourself. Even though you are responsible for planning, your plan can never take precedent over his. In fact, your plan needs to be his plan. So if yours is off, it has to be the one to change. You see this principle all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We need his direction. Acts 18, 21, this is Paul, but, but, but Paul bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return unto you again, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And then 1 Timothy three fourteen, Paul says, These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly. He couldn't be sure. If the Lord permit, that's looking to him in the midst of your planning. It's following his leading as you walk in the Spirit. It's not forcing a situation, but instead relying on God's timing. So plan, but leave room for God to interfere. And if he does, listen and obey. And that brings us to our second key for living in the work of the Lord. So first, we need to be active in planning. There's a couple balancing points in there, but we need to actively and not passively go about the work of the Lord. But then second, we need to be attentive to purpose. Be attentive to purpose. You see, our last point was about the future. This point is about the present. And so what this means is you shouldn't get so caught up in your plan that you don't pay attention to and you end up losing focus of the purpose God has for you today. Look at verse 8. Paul says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And not, now this is, this is sort of interesting. This gets a little bit interesting here. Paul said, I, I'm planning to come to you, if the Lord permits. But I, I have to hang out here in Ephesus for a while, because there is a great open door, and effectual. It is very active and powerful. That is what the word effectual means. So what you see happening is that while Paul wanted and planned on going to Corinth, he wanted to get back and minister to the Corinthians, he was paying attention to what God was doing with him in the present, at Ephesus. And the providential circumstances of this open door in Ephesus drove his decision. So Paul wasn't leaving Ephesus yet because he was paying attention to God and the purpose that God had for his life at that very time. Because there was an open door. An open door is a phrase we hear a lot. You see it in, in nice, inspirational Facebook posts. 
to say something like, if God closes a door, it's about to open a new one. Buck up there, Bella, buddy. You know, something like that. You know, or God wants to open a door for you, so quit holding on to the doorknob. You know, like there's things like that. and Whatever. Insert whatever inspirational open door quote you want there. And, and that's what they are. They're inspirational. They're meant to be inspirational. They're meant to inspire. Now, none of them are particularly biblical, but, you know, why let pesky facts get in the way of a good Facebook post or wall sign, whatever. <laughs> um, and listen, seriously, if you've ever posted something like that on Facebook, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun of you. I mean, most of the things put on Facebook are a mystery to me, so I don't have to understand. It's okay, I know you mean well. Um, let me get back on topic. The phrase, open door, is not a new one to many Christians. I mean, we have a life group here at this church, right? Many of you are in the open door life group. And if you're in that life group, I promise I'm not trying to make fun of you, really. I, I told the Facebook people I wasn't trying to make fun of them. I'm not 100% sure that was true. I might have lied a little bit there. But I'm not making fun of the open door face group, or open door uh, life group people. Let me just keep going. I'm going to explain this. Anytime you see the phrase open door in the Bible, it is always, always, always about the opportunity to share God's word or, or ser serve others through his word. So it is an opportunity that, that, that doesn't involve personal blessing, right? An open door is an opportunity for you to give and not get. It's an opportunity for you to give out God's word. So let me show you this. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 16 that a great door and effectual was opened unto him in Ephesus. Now that's most likely, we can't be 100% sure, but it's most likely um, a reference to Acts chapter 19. In Acts 19 verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples. Now I'll just skip all the way down to verse 8. There's some, there's some cool stuff that happens between verse 1 and 8, but it doesn't, doesn't help us here. Verse 8. So he goes to Ephesus, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of, two, uh, of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So this was an amazing open door. The word of the Lord Jesus went forth. And... and and the gospel truly exploded throughout Asia at this time. All heard, and churches were started in Colossae and Laodicea and Sardis and, and many other, other places, all from the door that God opened at Ephesus. And it's no wonder that Paul didn't want to leave. He ended up staying at Ephesus for three years, and that was a, that was a really long time for Paul. It truly was a great open door, which again as we're defining it, as the Bible defines it, is an opportunity to share God's word. That's what open door means. You see the same type of language back in Acts 4, 14, 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. God opened the door and they preached. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, look at what he asked them to pray about in Colossians 4, 3. With all praying also for us, 
that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bond. See, he didn't just pray that he could be a living testimony and that people would see Jesus in him. He knew that. That was a given. He knew. He had decided he was, he was going to live his life. He didn't have to think about that. That was a given. What he needed was open doors to speak. That's what he was asking the Colossians to pray about. An open door is always about sharing God's word. He desired a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, we see this, this, this church of Philadelphia. This was the model missionary church. God had nothing negative to say about them in, in that account in Revelation chapter 3. Well, they had an open door too, and it involved God's word. Revelation 3, verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Why? Because for thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. And then later in that chapter, we read about the church of Laodicea, a much different church than the Philadelphian church. But that is a church that represents our age, our time in church history. And regarding that church, Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the door shut. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. See, for Laodicea, the door was closed. Jesus stood at the door and he had to knock. And why was it closed? Because Laodicea doesn't hear his voice. They don't hear his words or heed his words. So the door is closed. Because the door is about the word of God. And I don't want to belabor this point, but in John 10... Guess what Jesus calls himself? He calls himself the door. And guess who Jesus is? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Capital W. So all this means that if you want to live in the work of the Lord, you have to be attentive to your real purpose. And that is sharing God's word with others. It is investing the word of God into the souls of men. We talk about that all the time. But we talk about it all the time because that's what we're here on earth to do. So let's be about doing it. And listen, I know we have some people in here this morning that are truly excited about doing that. And their prayer is, God, just open the door and I will go. Here am I, send me. And praise the Lord if that is your prayer, truly. I praise the Lord for that. But I, I do want to give a quick balancing point to go along with that desire. And that is the open door involves staying as much as it involves going. Now, stick with me. I'm going to explain this, so, so I don't want you to get me wrong, because the open door also involves going. We have been called to go, according to Matthew 28. God opens doors. That should cause us to go. And listen, the church's problem today is not getting enough people to stay. It's like everybody's going, whoa, man, we need some people here. No, that's not the church's problem. The church's problem today is not getting enough people to go. But I do want you to see that Paul stayed put in Ephesus because the door was open for him, even though his stated desire was to go to Corinth. So when I say that the open door is about staying, as much as it is about going, what I really mean is that the open door is about today as much as it is about tomorrow. 
Where does God have you today? Does he want you to share his word today? And the obvious answer to that question is yes. So look for the open door today, where you're at today. And again, don't use what I said as an excuse to not obey the Bible. Paul wanted to go, but the open door demanded he stay. So that means that going through the open door is not always the easy decision to make. I don't think it was the easy decision for Paul. I don't think it was easy for Paul because I think he wanted to be in Corinth. But I also know that it wasn't easy for Paul because of what he said at the end of verse 9. There's an open door, and there are many adversaries. And those would have been some of the guys we read about in Acts chapter 19 that spoke evil of Paul. But there were others that did worse than, than speaking evil. He talks about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. Where he says, We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. I mean, those are some adversaries, man. Paul thought that they could even be killed. He's like, I, I don't know, we, we might not even make it out of here. So what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, when he said th there were adversaries, that wasn't hyperbole. And I love the King James English of that verse. Because listen, it, listen to what it doesn't say. I'm going to read it to you incorrectly, because I want you to hear what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, but there are many adversaries. It doesn't say that. That's probably how we would have wrote it. Because we view the adversaries as opposite of the open door. So you have the, they're contrary one to another. So you have an open door, but you've got to deal with adversaries. You know, it's, it's this but thing. But, but that's not how the Holy Spirit wrote it. He wrote it this way. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And has a different defi definition than but. And this gives us balancing point number four. Adversaries are part of the open door. Okay, now they certainly oppose the open door, but they are part of the same package. I hope that makes sense to you. Because here's our problem. When we're going through ministry and life, and we see an open door, and then we see the adversaries, we view the adversaries as a reason to leave. Or we view the adversaries as a reason to quit. Paul viewed them as a reason to stay. They were part of the open door. They confirmed to him that he was in exactly the right spot. The spot of the open door. So listen to me now. What you need to take from this, this is a practical message today, so I'm going to give you some practical advice. What you need to take from this is you should be careful what you pray for when you pray for open doors. Because God may just give you what you ask for. And when you prayed for an open door, you thought that meant a clear path. You thought the open door it was smooth sailing. I'm going to walk right through that door. Well, God's open doors include adversaries. 
So you need to count the cost of the work of the Lord. That is why 1 Corinthians 15, 58 sets us up for everything we need in chapter 16. Because if you're going to deal with the adversaries, you have to be steadfast and unmovable. Because there will be adversaries trying to get you to quit and trying to get to you to move off of your purpose. But if you can do it, if you can be steadfast and unmovable, then you know what you can be? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You can be successful and you can see firsthand how great and how effectual, how active and how powerful that door really is. And you can move forward in faith, even in the midst of opposition. Because here's what you have to understand. Opportunity and opposition are just two sides to the same coin. And I said something there, even if you don't recognize it. Opportunity and opposition are two sides to the same coin. So be wary of a wide open door that doesn't include adversaries. Because you might just be playing with funny money. And you don't want to do that. You want to do the work of the Lord the right way, even when it's the hard way. Uh, for those of you that have read Pilgrim's Progress, you know the hard but right way. And the open door is the hard way, but it's the right way. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be unmovable. And then you've got to walk through it. It's not going to be a clear path. It's, it's going to be a path wrought with adversaries, wrought with opposition. But if you're steadfast and you're unmovable, you, God will keep you centered. And he will provide all along the way and what a great experience you will have because of it. So I want to do it the right way. And the right way is active, being active and planning. It is being attentive to purpose. And then third, our last practical key to living in the work of the Lord is to be associated with partners. Be associated with partners. We see a transition beginning in verse 10. It actually goes on down through the end of the chapter where Paul starts talking about some of his partners in ministry. Um, look there with me, starting in verse 10. Paul says, Now if Timotheus come, See that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, even as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me. For I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. So Paul begins this transition and starts talking about his partners in ministry. And in verses 10 through 12, he talks about a couple guys here. He talks about Timotheus or Timothy, and he talks about Apollos. We've been introduced to both of them before in this book. We've heard about Apollos and Timothy already in 1 Corinthians. These were his partners. They were his partners in ministry, and he talks about their ministry to the Corinthians. And out of these verses... We, we learn some great truth. And that is the work of the Lord is to be done as a team. To the best of your ability, be associated with partners. And it may not be possible to have partners directly in the trench next to you. You know, Timothy and Apollos weren't in Ephesus at that time with Paul. 
but you need to have partners somewhere. I mean, that is the importance, and that is uh, of, of, of the church and the missionary relationship. Kale and Brooke are going to leave here next year to go to Hungary. We're not going to be with them in Hungary, but we are absolutely going to be their partners. And we will be associated together as partners in that ministry in, in Hungary, and they will still be associated as partners with us in this ministry in New Philadelphia, Ohio. Just because we happen to be in two different places, we're still associated together in the work of the Lord. And we will encourage them to be steadfast and unmovable as they encourage us in their work to be steadfast and unmovable. That is the concept of the body. We talked about that in length as we came through chapter 12. And it is a theme of this series, We is Greater Than Me. And Paul knew that. He understood it, and he believed it, and he lived it. Not only did he preach it, he lived it. And he cared for these guys. He cared for Timothy. He cared for Apollos. And he wanted the Corinthians to care for them too. And what is interesting is that in talking about these two different partners, we get to see Paul in a couple of different roles. He first starts out by talking about Timothy. Timothy was Paul's closest disciple, and yet he never viewed him as inferior. And what, one of the cool things about their relationship is that when Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he includes Timothy in the salutation. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are in Achaia. And when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he didn't say that. He didn't include Timothy. But by the time Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he acknowledges, he recognizes and acknowledges the role that Timothy had played in that church. They were true partners, even though Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. And that's actually the role that we see Paul playing in verses 10 and 11. Paul was looking out for Timothy just as a father does his son. So in verses 10 and 11, we see Paul as father. He tells the Corinthians to make sure Timothy is there without fear and to not despise him. You see, Paul was sending Timothy. He was the guy that was going to be on the ground to deal with the implications of this letter. Timothy was going to be the one doing the follow-up after all the rebuke. So Paul was telling the Corinthians to not hate on the messenger just because they don't like the message. And they were especially apt to do so because of Timothy's age. He was a young man. That is what Paul meant, and that's what he was getting at with the phrase, therefore let no man despise him. Despise means to esteem lightly or least esteemed. It's the same thing that Paul told Timothy himself in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, he said, he was talking to Timothy, obviously, in this book. He says, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation in charity and spirit in faith and purity. And I would have that same encouragement to all the young people here. Don't let anyone despise your youth. But there is a caveat to that. Because Paul said that Timothy deserved respect even as a young man, and he deserved the respect because of what we see at the end of verse 12. For he worketh the work of the Lord, even as I also do. 
And, and so for all the young people here, you don't have, you shouldn't let anyone despise your youth if you're about the work of the Lord. Be about the work of the Lord, and then no one can despise your youth. They shouldn't. And if they, are, if they do, they're, they're going against what the Bible says. And when he says this about Timothy, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do, that may be the biggest compliment Paul ever gave in any of his epistles. Because that is what Paul's life was about, period. The work of the Lord. It was his life. It's how he lived all for the Lord. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get across in this message, keys to living in the work of the Lord. How to make your life about the work of the Lord. Because what, what we do many times is we just silo things, and we have our job life, and we have our social life, and we have our church life. And that's, you have one life. Live it for the Lord at your job, with your friends, and in church. Be about the work of the Lord all the time. That is, that's what Paul did. That is the model that we have to follow. And when, when Paul says that, that, that Timothy was about it too, that's high praise. Because what Paul said about himself in Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is, that was his entire life. The work of the Lord was his life. And like I said, to put Timothy in that same category is high praise. That means Timothy was steadfast and unmovable too. So Paul wanted the Corinthians to take care of him, even financially. That's what conduct him forth, that he may come unto me means. And we haven't spent much time on it this morning, but that theme of giving and paying for ministry and ministers that we saw last week, it weaves its way through this entire chapter. It's part of living our life for the Lord is giving. So we see Paul in the role of father with his partner Timothy. And then with Apollos in verse 12, we see Paul in the role of fellow laborer or peer. And this is, is, this is super interesting, and it's worth looking at one more time. Look at verse 12 again. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. And this is an interesting verse, and, and he wanted Apollos to come back. And obviously we saw um, early in the chapter, the, the Corinthians were you know, splitting themselves up amongst people. And, and it says, I, I, I was of Apollos, and I was of Cephas, and I was of Paul. And, you know, and, and then you see Paul says, listen, I'm glad I didn't baptize none of y'all. Y'all are crazy, man. Like, w- this, all, this, all these factions... And so it could have been, we don't know, it could have been that Paul wanted Apollos to come back to kind of get that, some of that straight. And the group that was saying, I'm of Apollos, Apollos led me to the Lord, Apollos discipled me, whatever it might have been. It might have been that Paul was wanting Apollos to kind of clear that up. But it's very interesting words here. He says, I greatly desired, I greatly, does that strong language, I greatly desired him to come unto you, but his will was not at all to come at this time. And in this verse, we get some incredible insight to Paul as a man and to Paul as a leader. Because like I said, what we see, Paul had a strong desire for Apollos to come to Corinth 
But Apollos didn't want to. And so Paul said, okay, I guess he'll come when he can. And make no mistake about it, this is fairly remarkable because Paul was the undisputed leader here. He was an apostle. He founded the church. He wrote this epistle. And while he was the undisputed leader, he viewed Apollos as a fellow laborer, as a peer. And he didn't feel the need to control him. And he let Apollos be his own man in the Lord and make his own decisions in his work in the Lord. They had an obvious difference in opinion. And yet Paul, as the leader, gave way to Apollos and listened to this and put it in writing. That is something there for all of us to learn. And that brings us to balancing point number five. Good leaders lead, they don't lord. Good leaders lead, they don't lord. I mean, Paul told Paulus what, Apollos what he wanted. He wasn't shy about his feelings. He told Paulus, listen, I want you to go. But he didn't demand it. He was leading, but not lording. And just as a side note, that is good advice in all relationships, especially in marriage relationships. Most marriage problems I have dealt with is because one person wants to control the other. And that never works. We have our roles. Men, love and lead. Ladies, respect and submit. And both of you, be the boss of you. Submitting doesn't mean lording, obviously, but neither does leading. Be like Paul and view them as a partner, as a help, meet, suitable for the mission. And when you do that, it gives the other person great freedom in, relation, in that relationship. Listen, Paul was confident enough in his leadership. He didn't have to demand that Apollos do this. But then Apollos was also confident enough in their relationship that it didn't scare him to tell Paul no. And he knew that Paul wouldn't take it personally. And that's how good partnership relationships are supposed to work. They can't be one-sided. Now, of course, there are times somebody has to make the decision. And when you have to make the decision, you make the decision. And you do it and if you're following the Lord, you stand behind it. And that is what it is. But partnership relationships can't always be one-sided. There's a partnership there. And the cool thing is what Paul was doing here was just applying the law of love he laid out for the Corinthians in chapter 13. That's what this is. 1 Corinthians 16, 12 is Paul, Paul applying the law of love. He let love take over instead of his own desires he decided to love instead he lived what he preached and unfortunately that is all too rare in relationships today even inside homes and inside churches but when it is displayed it works wonderfully and god is glorified partnership is part of the work of the lord you can't do it alone
And you can't lead your marriage alone, and, and we can't lead this church alone. Kale's not going to be able to do the ministry in Hungary alone. Josh isn't going to be able to lead Ignite alone. We need each other. We need partners in ministry, and so we need to associate ourselves closely with them. You see this model in Acts chapter 18, when Paul goes to Corinth, and he, 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 he associates himself with Aquila and Priscilla and Justice and others, and he lives with them. Listen, Paul couldn't fake it when he was living with them. He associated himself closely, and, and you impact people more from a close relationship than you can from afar. We can impact, we have an impact in a preaching ministry. We have an impact. I, I pray that the Holy Spirit uses the words that are said to grab a hold of your heart and to change your life. But relationships, when, when you get two people tied together and then they are iron sharpening iron and they're holding each other accountable to the Word of God in the work of the Lord, Man, there's something special that can happen there. That's what discipleship is all about. That's what Jesus modeled. That's what Paul modeled. Partnership is part of the work of the Lord. So as we begin to bring this to a close, we're almost out of time. I hope you have seen the practicality in today's message. Living your life in the Lord's work includes being active in planning your ministry, being attentive to your purpose today, and lastly, being associated with partners in love. So with that in mind, let me ask you, where do you stand? Where do you stand in the work of the Lord? Do you dream and plan about being used by God? Do you have an open door, have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share his word with others today? And do you have others in your life to whom you are accountable and to whom you are ministering with? And if your answer to any of those questions is no, can I ask you why? What is keeping you back from giving your life to the Lord's work? Why don't you make a commitment to start today? Make today a day of change, and in doing so, allow God to then change your tomorrow. I'm going to pray, and the praise team is going to come back up as we close out the service with one final song. We'll take up our offering during that song, but that is also your time to commune with the Lord. And if there is something that you need to change about yourself, if there is something you need to get right with Him today, would you do it? Use this time of worship to get your heart right with the Lord, and then get involved in the Lord's work with us. Dear Heavenly Father,